The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And a wonderful Monday afternoon to you here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation as we get topics underway at the beginning of this week. Can you believe we're almost in mid-July? Good night. I don't I don't know about you. It just seems like the time is is flying by. Faster and faster and faster. But here we are, thankful for the opportunity to be live and local and to be able to discuss together those issues that affect you and me directly here in California's Central Valley. It's been uh, this whole issue of violence, of course, uh, permeating the headlines. Let me let me just go over a few headlines with you. And then I want to focus in on an incident that occurred on July 4th, or in the July 4th weekend anyway, uh, in Modesto, because there are some things I think we need to discuss in terms of a community approach on how to deal with this. And unfortunately, what we're hearing mostly from government is uh, spin. We're hearing solutions that are very one-sided, and I think we need to explore more broad solutions to the travail that we're currently under. So let's uh, let's take a look as a as a pretext to that just to to set this up. Another violent weekend. Uh, did you hear about uh, the volleyball star and Olympian Kim Glass? She was attacked by a homeless man over the weekend, apparently with a pipe. I'm, I'm waiting to hear from California State and from Washington, D.C. on when we're going to talk about pipe violence. But anyway, until we hear from that, uh, this is just a, a quick comment from Kim Glass. If you saw her on any of the uh, uh, oh, YouTube and Facebook, there's part of her comments about that attack from a homeless person. Before I knew it, a big metal pipe hit me right here here i just it happened so fast he literally flung it from the street so he was not even close to me at all and if you saw her picture uh black eyes and obviously some cuts and and such just a a terrible attack here in uh, modesto yesterday major incident and the uh, 2900 block of Debbie Lane. Uh, two neighbors got into it. Uh, one of the neighbors uh, shot and killed uh, the other. Uh, the suspect holed up in his house, or at least the house that he was in at the time, and went down about 2 o'clock in the afternoon at about 11.30 p.m. Many hours later, it's reported that the suspect uh, shot himself. And it was taken to a local hospital, uh, died there apparently. Fortunately, the children and adult female in the home were not harmed. But uh, the person that he shot died, and of course he, uh, he died as well. And then we go down to Southern California. Orange County, city of Brea, clerk was shot and killed during a robbery. And there was a similar incident not too far from there in La Habra. 
no updates, but the police think that two robberies were connected. Two of at least four shootings at 7-Eleven stores around Southern California yesterday. There's one in Santa Ana as well and a fourth in Riverside. Downey, again in Southern California, three people left dead, two others wounded in an isolated incident. Uh, this was in a, a neighborhood of single-family homes. Uh, rapper Snoopy Blue, I don't know who Snoopy Blue is, but apparently he was found shot to death in his car in South Los Angeles on Saturday. And then uh, there was a standoff in Long Beach following uh, uh, a midday police, uh, or there was a a standoff midday with Long Beach police, and uh, the officers shot and killed the suspect, apparently, who was on a roof. And then we go to Chicago. I think I always need to return to Chicago. WGN Channel 9 News reporting at least 37 shootings over the weekend in Chicago and uh, three deaths that we know of. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing this up? Because the vapid solutions, the very uh, short-sighted, the shallow, the emotional connection solutions that are being offered by politicians these days aren't doing a thing. They're really not. And even the word gun violence doesn't quite do it. It's not the guns that are committing the violence. It's the human beings. Now, one of them that we talked about did it with a pipe. And there have also been stabbings as well. I don't see uh, red flag laws for buying knives. Maybe maybe that'll be the next thing. But you see, we're, we're missing. We're missing something, aren't we? In fact, President Biden today... And the lawn of the White House uh, decided to uh, present an overview of his gun solutions. There's a right to bear arms, but we also have a right to live freely. Well, you see, the right to bear arms is part of being able to live freely. You see, they're connected, Mr. President. Let's go on. Without fear for our lives in a grocery store in a classroom, in a playground, at a house of worship, in a store, at a workplace, a nightclub, a festival, in our neighborhoods, in our streets. Yeah, well, you see, all that has to do with us being able to defend ourselves. You see, if you take away the ability of the common man and woman, the good law-abiding citizens, to defend themselves They no longer can do that. Not only defend themselves, maybe, uh, from a totalitarian government that takes over that was not intended by the Founding Fathers or by gangs or by an invasion of sorts over the southern border. It all has to do with having uh, the ability to have self-defense, Mr. President. Let's go on. To bear arms is not an absolute right that dominates all others. The right to bear arms is not a right that dominates all others. You see, he's setting up a false argument there. I'll let that go for the moment. The perennial price for living in a community with others is being neighbors of being fellow citizens. What? Uh, I have no idea. Is that we obey the laws and customs that ensure that frame what the framers call domestic tranquility. 
Well, you see, there you go, Mr. President. If we're all obeying the laws, then we would not be killing each other. We would not be robbing stores. We wouldn't be doing smash and grabs. Uh, We wouldn't be killing each other if we were already obeying the laws. You see, there's a a false argument. There's a a false premise that you've set up there. Let Let me allow the president to finish here. That's what civilization is. All right, so he's saying civilization is domestic tranquility. That's a pipe dream, Mr. President. That's a pipe dream. Good civilization depends on good defense. It uh, really depends on being able to defend yourself against attacks. And that's called accountability. That's called deterrent. And when you remove the deterrence, when you remove the ability to defend oneself either as a nation or as a citizen, you don't have domestic tranquility. Here's his final comments about domestic tranquility. That's what we have been at our best. That's what America must always be, a place where we preserve the rights but fulfill our responsibilities. There's always a but. We'll fulfill our rights, but... Our responsibilities. Hmm. Well, again, I, I find no solace there. I find not a lot of logic there. But we'll, we'll talk about solutions together. I'm always, as you know, looking for solutions. Uh, looking for through the ability to talk about these things together, to discover uh, new thoughts, to work these things out together, to put it all into the marketplace of ideas and then be willing to listen to each other. And out of that comes or come good solutions, not easily emotionally charged things that fall loftily off the tongue to people who aren't thinking. And so we'll talk about that. Speaking of thinking, let me lighten things up here a little bit. Are you thinking about selling your house? (laughs) Well, prices uh, keep going up. Inventory is low. Interest rate hikes mean price fluctuations. So selling your home now with an aggressive, experienced agent is the right move to maximize your equity. Eh, Would you like to move closer to work with that help? Or maybe you think you can't afford it? Well, call the agent I trust and recommend. Call Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or Dan will sell it for free. His home selling program is designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. There's no costly repairs required, no long-term contracts. You pick your move date, and Dan can even help you find a new home before you move. Michelle in Modesto, she knows all about it. She was helping her dad sell his home in Modesto. That's a great daughter. They needed top dollar to help fund his retirement. So Michelle interviewed several agents, found out that Dan had the right plan to make only necessary improvements, and he could market the home for top dollar. She says Dan over-delivered on her high expectations and got her dad thousands more than their goal. So call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I recommend, and I'd hire him to sell my own home. He's the only agent who guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours or it's sold free. 
So call Dan Phipps, 209-593-1111, or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three Ps, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S dot com. All right, let's take a look in three minutes uh, at some solutions that we can talk about. Let's look at things honestly and truthfully, bring things into the light of truth, and see uh, where we go from there. All that coming up in three minutes here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. With the big news of the day, here's more of The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And I want to uh, engage you now in a conversation about the, the, the violent culture that we live in today. And let, let's talk about real solutions. Real solutions. And, and that... As a springboard for that, as uh, we review an incident that occurred on the 4th of July in Modesto, I'd like you to think about three questions. What role does law enforcement play? What role do parents and family play? And what role do we play as citizens? What role does law enforcement play in this? What role do parents and family play? And what role do we as citizens play in this. All right, just to review, on July 4th, uh, Modesto PD was called to uh, a, uh, a multiplex on the uh, west side of Modesto about uh, 10.20 p.m. They got a family disturbance call, and uh, there was um, a notification about an, uh, a little bit later that the suspect had a deadly weapon, attacked the officer, uh, the officer fired at the uh, suspect, and uh, the officer suffered an injury, uh, was later treated at a hospital, and, uh, and released. Now, what's, uh, what's interesting is uh, the parents a few years ago uh, noticed that the, the suspect had began to change, had begun to change. Uh, they said when mental illness hit, it hit very, very quickly. That's according to his mother. She described his behavior as getting erratic and paranoid, and she added that he began self-medicating with marijuana. I know this is a touchy subject. Let me give out the phone number now, 209-551-3483. As uh, your thoughts begin to come to mind, 209 551 Three four eight three. So, in the solution to an issue like this, what role does law enforcement play? What could be done differently? What role do parents and family play? What could have been done differently? What do we as citizens? What is our role? What can we do differently? A note here from the CDC, by the way. This is quoting from their website. Marijuana use, especially frequently, like daily or nearly daily, and in high doses can cause disorientation and sometimes unpleasant thoughts or feelings of anxiety and paranoia. They say people who use marijuana, according to the CDC, are more likely to develop temporary psychosis, meaning not knowing what's real, hallucinations, paranoia and long-lasting mental disorders, including schizophrenia, 
They say parenthetically, a type of mental illness where people might see or hear things that are not really there. And the association between marijuana and schizophrenia is stronger in people who start using marijuana at an earlier age and use marijuana more frequently. CDC also saying marijuana use has also been linked to depression, social anxiety, and thoughts of suicide, suicide attempts, and suicide itself. So in, in this incident, where there was an officer-involved shooting, don't have all the details at this point, again, to review, they were called uh, to this uh, multiplex, because of a family disturbance around 10:20 p.m., uh, the suspect had a deadly weapon of uh, some sort. Attacked the officer. Officer suffered an injury. He treated at a hospital and released. And uh, the B reporting that the parents began to notice some changes in their son a couple of years ago, describing his behavior as erratic and paranoid, and said he began self-medicating with marijuana. So think, and it's very easy to start Monday morning courting, quarterbacking on this, although that occurred on a Monday. But it's important for us to start thinking together. And, and I applaud the fact that both the Modesto Police Department and the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Department are very good, especially since I've been in town, and that's been over 25 years now, in reaching out to the community and inviting comment and listening. Now, they may not always agree with what's being said, but the important thing is to listen to each other and at least acknowledge, all right, that's your opinion. So let me ask you, in this type of situation, here's a young man that is uh, exhibiting some type of erratic behavior. He has had a history of using marijuana. I just read the CDC's take on marijuana that it, uh, it can lead to uh, temporary psychosis. It can lead to schizophrenia. And uh, that schizophrenia may get stronger in people who start using marijuana at an early age and use it very frequently. Marijuana also linked to depression, social anxiety, thoughts of suicide, suicide attempts, and suicide itself. Now, can we blame this on marijuana? No. That may be a contributing factor. Can we blame this all on law enforcement? No. The handling of it may be a contributing factor. Can we blame it all on the family or the parents? No, but they're a contributing factor. And what about us? Now, when I say us, I mean as, as citizens. What can we do? And, and I earlier, just at the top of the program, I, I went over a litany of violent things that occurred over this past weekend. Most of them in California, and then 37 shootings and three deaths in Chicago. So... President Biden is putting all his money on it's the weapon's fault. If we can just take away that Second Amendment, that pesky Second Amendment, you know, balance that with the right to domestic tranquility. I don't think that's the answer. I really don't. 
And I would say if, if the answer is taking away guns and having strong gun laws, we only need to look at those areas around the country that have very tough gun laws. And what do we see? We still see shootings. And and President Biden referred to the fact that we need laws, that we have laws that address this. We have laws that say, don't try to kill other people or don't, in fact, kill other people. We have laws that are against battery. We have laws against assault. That's having the capacity to uh, injure someone with a threat, having the capacity to carry out the threat. We have all those laws. So what does that say about the law? What it says is right now we're either not enforcing the law, the DAs aren't doing their job, somebody's not doing their job about the laws, otherwise we might have a more tranquil society as the president says what are your thoughts what role does law enforcement family we as citizens what part do we play coming up in five minutes mike douglas show power talk 1360 kfib the mike douglas show now weekdays from three till five on power talk 1360 kfib on air and online. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation as we get things going this Monday afternoon here in California's Central Valley. Thanks so much for joining us here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Been talking about this uh, officer involved shooting. That occurred on July 4th. Again, uh, apparently uh, the suspect had uh, knives. And uh, during the uh, officer's uh, presence there uh, in the home, apparently uh, the officer was attacked and the officer shot the suspect. Now, to my knowledge, uh, the wounds were not fatal. I don't have a follow-up on that specifically other than uh, the wounds were not uh, not of a fatal nature. Uh, but the issue is, is there anything do we think that law enforcement could have done differently, that the family or parents could have done differently, and what role do we as citizens play in incidents like this? Our number here, 209-551-3483, Let me address my own thoughts, and you're welcome to push back on them or add to them or amplify upon them, 209-551-3483. Regarding the law enforcement perspective, the role that law enforcement plays, I do believe that there's an advantage, and and, uh, Modesto PD has uh, been very good at this in in, uh, developing teams to address it, that uh, when there are issues that arise with someone who appears to be mentally ill or may may have psychological problems and such, that uh, they bring in some additional assistance. Whether that was available or not that night, I don't know. Well, that that's something we, we don't know. 
But it looks like that the officer was attacked. The officer had to go to the hospital. Uh, allegedly, the uh, suspect involved had knives. And so the officer fired at the suspect uh, after uh, he was attacked with the knives. Both, fortunately, appear to have uh, survived the attacks, at least as, uh, as far as I know. So as far as law enforcement goes, my friends, I think the problem that we, one of the problems that we have today that's contributing to the rise in violence and really the acceptance of violence uh, on on behalf or on the part of the woke culture is the anti-law enforcement movement. Defund the police. I, I think the problem is we've swung that pendulum so far one way that we've made officers reticent to do what they need to do. And I don't know if most would admit to that, but in private conversations with officers outside of our area, uh, from other parts of the state, it would seem to me that the, the general temperature Uh, against law enforcement in California is such that many officers feel that they're handcuffed and and they don't take the initiative. When an officer is attacked, in my opinion, if he or she feels that his life or someone else's life is in danger, deadly force is appropriate. And then then we get these questions that have come up. Well, why why not just shoot the guy in the knee or shoot him in the hand where the gun is or the knife is? That that's Disneyland stuff. That's Hollywood stuff. It's not reality. Typically, from my memory and my training, on average shootings happen in a very compressed time frame. The officer doesn't have a lot of time to make life or death decisions, he or she needs to react the way they are trained. And there's limited time to do that. So I believe that law enforcement is doing a good job at this point in enlisting and listening to the community and listening to solutions in terms of if there's time, if there's the ability to bring in negotiators. In fact, uh, there were negotiators, I think, involved in the in that shooting last night. We'll move on in just a moment to what role do family and parents play. I want to go to the phones right now. 209-551-3483. And uh, let's check in with Bob from Modesto. Hi, Bob. What are your thoughts about this today? Hey, thanks for taking my call. We have, uh, we have a leadership and social problem in our country and um, when the leadership at the very top makes these asinine decisions I think it's a trickle-down effect that goes state county city and so on uh, it's unfortunate we, we you know what the really funny thing about the whole officer involved shooting thing is and I say that tongue-in-cheek is nobody ever says huh I wonder how the officer's doing with uh, dealing with this shooting, the mental stuff that goes on. Nobody ever says that. I don't, I don't hear it anywhere. They're always so quick to jump and say, well, that guy's a trigger happy, whatever. 
we have so many problems that I'm disheartened. We got water problems. We got cost of fuel problems. We got supply chain problems. And our leadership is offering no solutions anywhere. So this officer-involved shooting, you know, uh, prayers out to the, to, the, to the guy that got shot and to the officer. Nobody wants to see a life taken. We got a mental health problem. I work in that industry. We've got a problem in this state that's unfathomable. And what is the leadership doing? Gavin Newsom is saying, oh, we're going to go ahead and, and we're going to provide abortions for people from other states. But I, you don't see anything about them dealing with this massive homeless, mentally ill problem in our state. So I, I offer no solutions. I just wanted to vent, and I thank you for giving me a platform to do that. Absolutely. Before you go, uh, Bob, you mentioned something that I think is highly critical and very important, and you talked about uh, the PTSD uh, involved in officer-related shootings. I agree with you. I don't think the general public has any idea of what that officer goes through. The focus of the media is always upon uh, the person that uh, the officer uh, either killed or uh, disabled somehow. Very little is said about what the officer has to go through. Now, in terms of specifics, I understand that, Bob, because there are, you know, there are things that need to remain confidential. But, and, and with, with your background, can you amplify just a bit on the trauma that officers go through after a violent altercation like that? Well, and, and let me cast a net on that. It's not just officers. Uh, it's firefighters. My son is in the military. And, uh, uh, you know, these uh, you know, when we're engaged in Iraq and other places and these military uh, uh, men and women have to take a life, you know, we need to have conversations about how do we how do we engage that? Yes, there are things that absolutely need to remain confidential. That officer's whatever he may go through doesn't need to be put out other than, man, I hope I hope he's doing OK. I hope he's getting some help. But beyond that, we don't we don't need to, to put that out there. So when an officer, when you take a life and you say, oh, he's trigger happy and this, that, and the other, they have to find some solace and I had to do it so I could go home to my kids and my wife. And there's another thought. It's not just the fact that they took the life, but it's also the fact of when they were engaged what was going through their minds? Are they seeing their, their, their son or daughter in their mind while they're fighting this fight going, I'm never going to see them again. You know, so there's so much more to it than defund the police and, you know, all the violence and stuff like that. And the last thing I'll put in there is I think we need, I think we need in our society, we need a, a, a YouTuber did this. Uh, he was a news guy and where we have these people that are staunchly against officers and guns, have them engage somebody with a rubber knife at 20 feet. Mm. And then, uh, you know, you got to get a, you got to get a paintball shot off, 
before you get stabbed. But let, let's let some of these high up people that are screaming this, why don't they step into that arena so they can speak uh, with a level of intellect that makes sense? Absolutely. I think uh, something else, Bob, that, that figures into that is the trauma that the officer or uh, the firefighter, or whatever, the emergency responder, the family of that emergency responder goes through trauma uh, when, when he or she oh, comes man. home as well, right? And, and so the family has to be equipped to deal with that as well. Yeah, so it's, it's a broad spectrum. So publicly, I, I think because I got a lot of friends in, in every agency, EMS, law enforcement. So, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of people. Just thank you. You know what? Thank you for getting up and, and doing that every day. Yeah. Seeing the worst struggles in society. But also I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're in that, if you're in that field, man, don't be proud. Go have, go talk to somebody. Yes. Don't let it ruin you. Don't let it ruin your family. Absolutely. Bob, great call. Thanks so much. And uh, you speak from experience and knowledge as well. So much appreciate your call. Bob from Modesto bringing uh, some good things. Let let me just give uh, a little uh, chapter out of uh, my own history when I was with the governor's office of emergency services. And I was on uh, working the emergency um, operations center for the fire and rescue department in in state OES during the... uh, well, the bombing, if you remember, in Oklahoma City many years ago. And what we found was those rescuers who might spend a 12-hour shift digging out a body part, digging out a dead person, traumatic. Can you imagine that? I mean, the, the reason... We go into this business for those of us who have been in it, and those of us, those of you who are in it, is we want to save lives. We want to make a difference. We want to save lives, save property. And when you can't do that, it's traumatic. When the person you're attempting to rescue doesn't make it, or you're digging out a leg and that's been severed. I don't mean to be gross, but I, I think we need to talk plainly. There's trauma involved. And one of the things that, that we discovered along the way, I say we, in, in, in terms of the general emergency response industry, is that uh, critical stress debriefings eventually became mandatory, which is a good thing. Because most, especially male, Emergency responders, uh, many will say, I'm, I'm okay. I, I can deal with it. No, no, you may think you're okay, so we're going to make this mandatory. But not only was it mandatory for the responder, it also became mandatory, at least it was at the time I was involved in the service, mandatory for the family as well, because they need to be equipped to know how to handle this person coming back with trauma. They need to understand the flashbacks. They need to understand the unspoken things. They need to understand those things that are are like a volcano inside and, and are, 
are kept inside until something triggers it and and there's an emotional explosion. And so we've learned. The point is we've learned over time things that we need to do, and that's the object of our exercise today as we think about this in terms of uh, the cop's role here, the the, the parents and the role of the parents and family, and then we as citizens. That's important. And, uh, and in that context of citizens, I would also say the media, those of us in talk radio. What do we need to do to be able to contribute to positive uh, processes of working through this, not only as individuals, but as a community? And I believe that it really, really starts with, uh, with listening and not being automatically judgmental and pointing fingers. We love to, and, and I think Bob, who called a couple of minutes ago, would, would probably underscore this. We love to be able to point a finger right away and blame somebody because then somehow in our psyche, it makes it less traumatic. If we can, if we can blame someone, man, we found someone to blame. That's good. No, no, we need to work through it. Work through it in the light of truth. We'll be back with your phone calls, 209-551-3483, as the Mike Douglas Show continues in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Take the Mike Douglas Show with you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV, working through some of the tough stuff that this is what this show is made for, our ability here to be live and local and discuss the tough stuff and be able to listen to each other. Uh, and we, we've been talking about so much of the violence that is permeating our culture right now. And, and I think one of, the, one of the precepts that we need to accept going into discussions like this is that there is not just one solution. Uh, there are many, many moving parts, so to speak, when we consider uh, how to deal with these, uh, these kinds of, of issues. And uh, there, there's not just one solution. And that's what uh, really irritates me about so many politicians today is they uh, inaccurately, and I, I hope they aren't intentionally using subterfuge and intentionally lying to us, but I don't know anymore. Uh, when, when they when they come up with these very superficial but emotionally charged comments and solutions, it's uh, it, it takes us deeper into the culture of violence. In in, in my opinion, a uh, couple of uh, concluding thoughts about this. Again, if you'd like something to add, our phone number here two zero nine five five one three four eight three. 209-551-3483. Want to talk about the role of the emergency responder in all this. And as Bob correctly identified, that could be a, a firefighter, that could be an EMS responder, that could be a police officer. Uh, there are very various types of emergency responders that are involved in traumatic incidents. One of the traumas 
that we may not think about is the whole workers' comp system. And believe me, that creates its own trauma for the emergency responder. It really does. And then you have the lawyers of the local government, whether it's the city and or the county. And uh, as, as someone who doesn't work for the city or the county, nor volunteer for them at this point, may I just say that, and I, I'm going to come at this also from the perspective of being in corporate structures in the past. Attorneys for the corporate structure are going to protect the corporate structure. That's their job. And the second person that's to be protected is the employee, the officer, the firefighter, the EMS responder, whatever it might be. That's the reality. If, if there comes, if, if, if the good of the individual bumps up against the good of the structure of the organization, the attorney's job is to protect the organization. That's reality. And I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm just saying that's the way it is. That's what's real. And then you have the internal affairs investigations and or the investigations by the uh, county district attorney if, if they're involved. That's traumatic. That adds to the trauma right there as well. And then there's another trauma involved in not being able to respond to the accusations that are made by others, made by the media. Because these involve legal proceedings, workers' comp issues, internal affairs investigations, DA investigations, the officer or the emergency responder is not free to answer the accusations that the media or the community may make against him or her, and that creates its own trauma. And so my, my point here is we need to... We need to look at the grand picture here and understand the role that each plays, the suspect, the family of the suspect, the emergency responder, the media, we as a community. I'm not sure that in general we're doing that in a healthy way across the board, but that's why we're here and that's why we talk about this thing. All right. Mike Douglas Show continues in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. We'll be right back after news, weather, and traffic. The show you love, talking about the issues that are important to you. The Voice of the Valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now every weekday from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here again is your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to our number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on this very warmish Monday in uh, July. Thank you for being with us. So much appreciate your participation here on the Mike Douglas Show. Again, my role to be your personal concierge for conversation as we talk about the issues of the day that affect you and me right here in the California Central Valley. And as always, our thanks to 
iHeartMedia for providing the ability to be live and local, something you don't always find a lot of today. And uh, so your voice is important to us. And the key to that is our phone number, 209-551-3483. Been talking about how the roles of the various um, people or people groups involved in, in violent uh, occurrences, how, what roles that we play? What roles does law enforcement or the emergency re- responder play? What roles do uh, the family or the friends of the suspects play? What roles do we as uh, the people in the community, as citizens, what roles do, do we play? And I wanted to just say, because we were, we're talking, we were using examples of law enforcement incidents and uh, shootings and stabbings and such. But I do want, and and then we talked about uh, fire and rescue services, well, EMS. And, of course, we want to include in all of that our military as well. Talk about issues of PTSD coming home and families needing professional help and learning how to deal with the trauma that their loved one is going through in the aftermath of whatever they've experienced, usually uh, across the water somewhere in, a, in another country. And so, you know, for, for all of these specific issues where there's trauma involved, at least today, we acknowledge the fact that <clears throat> professional training is necessary in helping the person going through the trauma to deal with it. Because it is not a light switch. It's not like a light switch where you can just turn it on and turn it off. These things last a lifetime, and it's not not a matter of making them go away so that we forget them. No, no, no. It's a matter of saying, here is a traumatic thing that has happened in my life, and here is how I'm learning to deal with it being there, because it will always be there. To pretend that it wasn't there is not healthy. It's healthy to acknowledge it was there or it is still there. And how do we deal with that? I think many people who are uh, steeped in 12-step recovery understand this process very, very well. And uh, even as you go through the 12 steps, you get to step 12, it's not the end of it accountability, lifetime accountability is is usually necessary there. And so the ability to uh, have support systems that are uh, at least educated or trained and or trained to help people in the process is absolutely important. And if you would allow me to give you another personal uh, experience, and this, this was when I was a a volunteer chaplain for law enforcement uh, here locally many years ago. And I'm not going to get too detailed on it because uh, I'm, I'm sure it's still a traumatic thing for the families. But the the issue was that probably sometime after midnight, uh, some adults who also had uh, children with them uh, engaged in, uh, as I remember, maybe a a game of chicken on little uh, uh, road bikes. And something happened. Anyway, the uh, 
and I think there may have been four adults involved, at least two anyway, they uh, apparently had collided and died. Now, throughout my career in law enforcement and then in the fire and rescue service as well, I've seen a lot of the faces of death. I've just seen a lot of forms of it. I've I've seen people who were killed by drug dealers. I've seen natural deaths. I've I've seen infants <clears throat> die in their mother's arms. I've seen a lot of things. And the the good thing about that is afterwards you talk about it with your brothers and sisters in the know uh, who are trained to deal with these things. And, and so you talk about it, and you talk about it with family. And But there is there, it's very interesting for me personally that that visual of seeing uh, those people in in kind of a uh, twisted, grotesque state, um, lying in the ground, dead, and for no good reason, totally avoidable, made an impression on me, and it's still an image that is very vibrant in my mind. And so I have learned how to deal with that, and part of it was being able to talk about it with fellow chaplains and say, man, this, this affected me. And it's the only incident that I, that I can recall that affected me very, very deeply. And to this day, as I think about it, it still affects me. And I, I think a lot of that was dealing with the fact that it was so avoidable and how the children involved were were left without their parents all right so why am i why am i saying this it's because we need to listen to each other and we listen need to listen to all parties involved in these traumas and accept the fact that it doesn't go away that the trauma lasts for a lifetime, the challenge is to learn how to deal with it in a healthy way, in in a way that does not involve the abuse of mind-altering drugs or chemical addictions or alcohol, in a way that enables people not to well, we just move on. You don't just move on, but what you learn to do is live with it. I, I use this this metaphor often with people. It's like in a trauma like that that you are entering a harbor. Let's say you're in a, a little boat and you're in rough seas. <clears throat> the, the seas are tossing your boat to and fro. And you enter this harbor and there are jagged boulders sticking up out of the water, which means there's big stuff underneath that that tip of the iceberg, so to speak, but there's these tip of these big boulders. The healthy way to approach that is not trying to make the boulders go away that are jutting out out of the water. That is not the healthy way to do it because if you try to do that, they are not going to go away. They will always be there. And if you keep trying to run into them to try to make them go away, you will harm yourself. So the goal is to learn in, a, in healthy ways how to navigate around them to say, yes, <clears throat> there is that boulder. Yes, there is that trauma. 
and I am learning how to live with the fact that that will always be there. I'm not going to lie to myself and pretend that it didn't happen. I'm going to acknowledge that that trauma is there and learn how to deal with it in a healthy way and learn that that trauma does not define me. It's something that happened to me, but it doesn't define me. And you see, these are, these are the deep issues that the media totally misses. It is rare that the mass media will even begin to think of the trauma of all involved. The media will pick the trauma of the people that fit their, <clears throat> that fit their immediate narrative. They will bring that to the fore. They will focus on that. The politicians will focus on the, the trauma of the participant that fits their narrative. And we see that happening almost every day. Not only here in California, but in the nation as well. And so it's my encouragement <clears throat> to all of us to listen well to all involved. And it doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone involved, but we do have the responsibility to listen and acknowledge whether we think they need to feel that way or not. That's the way they feel at that moment and not try to fix them. That's another issue. <laughs> we, we so often want <clears throat> to make us feel better. We want to assign blame. For some reason, that makes us feel better. If we can find someone or something to blame, then it makes us feel better to, to rationalize something that shouldn't happen that did happen. And that's not a healthy way to approach it. And the other thing is that we can lie to ourselves about what happened. And so it's a process of, and, and the third part there is not try to fix people. So often, and I run into, ran into this with couples I was mentoring over the years in vocational ministry, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the wife would <clears throat> leave books out on the husband's TV table where his remote is for the television, books on solving their marriage problem bad way to approach that <laughs> just dysfunctional because he wants to fix him uh you're if you are the spouse and your spouse is in trouble <clears throat> and needs deep-seated help sadly you are probably the last one to be able to offer the healing you can contribute to it by learning how to travel that road with them. But if you try to fix someone else to make you feel better, you're both going to be traumatized. All right, coming up in uh, a few moments, I want to talk very briefly about this bodega worker in New York City, Jose Alba, the man who uh, was attacked by a woman's boyfriend because uh, he... He found out that her credit card or whatever was uh, not valid or didn't have enough funds and told her she had to put the chips away, whatever she was buying. And she got mad, brought back her boyfriend who came behind the counter, shoved the guy down and was attacking him. And, and so Jose Alba, the bodega worker there, had a knife stored apparently behind the desk and he stabbed the guy who was attacking him. 
And of course, who who gets charged thus far? The girlfriend hasn't been charged with anything. Who gets charged? The guy that was defending himself. And originally, the DA in New York City charged him with a crazy, a crazy bail. And that, uh, because of the outcry of the community, was uh, eventually reduced. But the fact of the matter is, who is the, the media making the bad guy? It's the guy who was attacked and was trying to defend himself. So I want to talk about that coming up. Your perspectives on it. 209-551-3483. Our number 209-551-3483. As the Mike Douglas Show continues... Here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to The Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to The Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. What about this uh, incident in New York City? The bodega worker, worker Mr. Alba. Apparently a woman came in and uh, tried to pay for some chips or something uh, with a card and uh, it uh, wasn't accepted, and so he told her she had to put the chips back. That's his job, right? That's his job. He's he's not there to give away things. He's there to make money. That's that's capitalism at its best, All right? He's uh, I believe an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, if me- memory serves me right. So the lady gets mad, and by the way, at some point in the process, she cut Mr. Albo with a knife, uh, and I'm not clear on when that exactly happened. But anyway, so she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring someone back, and she brings back uh, a, a boyfriend, uh, apparently, and he comes behind the counter, and uh, he shoves Mr. Alba, uh, starts to shove him around and intimidate him, And as they're struggling, uh, Mr. Alba apparently had a knife behind the counter, brings out the knife, and he uh, stabs the man who was attacking him. The man died. So what happens? You say, well, that sounds like self-defense, Mike. Well, apparently not in Manhattan. Mr. Alba gets arrested, and he's charged with second-degree murder and initially a $250,000 bail. And so there was such an outcry amongst the community that uh, Mr. Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, apparently agreed to a lower bail of $5,000. So it goes from $250,000 bail to $5,000 bond. And in the meantime, Mr. Alba's put on Rikers Island. That's a nasty place to be. This is the guy that was being attacked and intimidated. And was defending himself, he becomes the bad guy. And his own knife wounds, by the way, have become infected. And and he has at this point uh, issued an apology to the family. I, I can and he's sixty one. The guy that attacked him was thirty something. And yet, who's the bad guy, according to the DA? The man who was attacked, Mr. Alba. On believable. But you see, this is where we're at in today's culture. It it is not just a a defund the police and anti-cop thing. It's it's an anti-citizen defending themselves thing. 
whether it's the ability to have a CCW permit or even to have guns at home to defend oneself, who becomes the bad guy or the bad gal, the person defending themselves? How do we turn this around? You say, well, we feel powerless, Mike. We feel powerless because what do we do about the DAs? Well, we recall them. We recall them. And the other issue here, if I'm correct, is that there was a GoFundMe account set up to raise money for his bail, and GoFundMe refused it. You see, so we have this woke culture that is so upside down and sideways that we begin to wonder, do we have any chance as the law-abiding citizen? We become the bad guys if we fight back. How do we change that? Well, San Francisco at least had a start with that in the recall of Chase of Bodine. Los Angeles, you're attempting to do that with the attempted recall of George Gascon. The DAs, and we've had a good DA here in my county, so... I have no complaints there. But there are DAs around the nation and uh, around California who are contributing to the demise of our culture. And I don't know whether it's because they want to make sure they get reelected or people uh, gave to their campaign, gave them big bucks for their campaign, and they feel that they need to uh, respond to them or whether they're just part of the woke culture and they want to be part of this change where we destroy the rule of law as we know it in America so they can replace it with an authoritarian monarchy. My friends, you're getting a little into conspiracy theories there, Mike. No, no, not anymore. I think we can all look at what's happening around us and say, we have to do something about this. Something has to change. And so my encouragement is that we start those changes at the lowest level. I don't mean low in terms of valid or not, but at at the basic community level, the school board level, the city council level, the alderman level, if you're in the Midwest, the county board of supervisors. That's where we begin. And, and, and when, when we elect people with very unhealthy and skewed perspectives that are anti-rule of law prosecutors who don't want to prosecute, we have only ourselves to blame for that as a culture. And so what's our initial pushback? Part of that comes up in November, 2022. I don't ever tell you who to vote for or what to vote for. But my encouragement is take a look at the qualifications. Take a look at the past history. Take a look at the propositions. Know what you're voting for. And we will do our level best to provide a lot of that information for you coming up to November. All right, Mike Douglas show continues here in 5 minutes on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. 
The Mike Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation as we take a look at uh, a lot of the issues, many of them uh, not easy ones to, uh, to fathom nor to discuss. 209-551-3483, our number 209-551-3483, talking about this incident in uh, at a bodega in uh, New York where the man behind the counter is uh, is assaulted, pushed around. And the, the video is there. There's even audio with it, I believe. And we can see that he is being intimidated. He's being pushed around. And uh, and he defends himself by grabbing a knife, stabs the assailant, assailant dies, but he becomes the bad guy, at least in New York City, and he's the one that is uh, arrested for second-degree murder. Originally, a $250,000 bail, he's uh, locked up at Rikers Island, a place you don't want to be, and uh, then the Manhattan DA in a uh, wonderful uh, uh, move of compassion, I suppose, uh, reduces the bond to uh, $5,000. Anyway, so my my question to you is, does this make you worried about defending yourself today? Does it give you second thoughts? Let, let's say that you're under attack and you kill the assailant. Does it does it now give you second thoughts about that? Are you a little more hesitant? Does does this type of response by government worry you? Our number here, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Unfortunately, Hollywood has, I don't know, I mean to pick on Hollywood, but Hollywood has done us a major disservice in in allowing us to come to believe that the way Hollywood deals with violence and crimes is the way it really happens. And, and there are some instances where shows are fairly accurate, but uh, in general, things don't get solved in 30 minutes or an hour or even uh, to be continued next week in, in two hours even. Uh, things don't get solved that quickly. And when people uh, get get shot when, or when a law enforcement officer has to shoot someone, uh, they just don't go home and come back the next day and they're ready to go again. There, there's trauma involved. So I think Hollywood has, has redefined our expectations in some ways. But my question to you, are you worried about defending yourself? What about this incident with Mr. Alba? Our telephone number, 209-551-3483, 209-551-3483. Let's go to uh, Mark from Modesto. Hi, Mark. Uh, what are your thoughts? I uh, I saw a guy walk out of a store with a 12-pack, and so I've been asking a few clerks what's going on here, and they basically, what they've been told is just to let people steal, and from the few clerks I've talked to, not in the mom and pop stores, but a little bigger, 
they just have been told to uh, let them steal, and they say it's very rampant. That is very true. That well, I had to say. yeah. And so, what do you what do you think about that? What what do you think that leads to ultimately? Well, I just I don't know. You see a lot of homeless people around certain stores. They just walk in and oh, I'm thirsty. I'll grab a twelve pack. Well, I don't know. I just wanted to just let you guys know that the clerks, you know, they they've been told here that I. To just to let him steal it, basically. Yeah, uh, well, you're absolutely yeah, right. Uh, I mean, yeah. Uh, Mark, thank, thanks for the observation. Okay, all- uh, yeah, appreciate the call. Thank you very right. much. And and you're absolutely right. So that, there, there's another question, and that that's healthy, too. Mark, thanks for bringing that up. That's a, that's a good thing to talk about. Uh, one question leads to another. And uh, so what do you think about that, my friends? What do you think about the current attitude on the part of, and, and Mark was talking, uh, I believe, about uh, chains, perhaps, or big businesses, not not necessarily the mom-and-pop stores, but uh, bigger businesses. They've just told their people, hey, if people come in and, come in and, and uh, steal is blind, let them do it. What do you think about that? Uh, there are some people who are going to say, well... The, the people are needy, and so we, we, we should just allow them to take what they need. Hmm. So what does that say about the rule of law? And, and where is the threshold on that? <laughs> oh, well, well, it's $950 or it's $1,000, whatever it is. Really? And so the merchant then is supposed to figure into their overhead being stolen blind as part of their bottom line. Well, where does that cost get recovered? <laughs> you and me, my friends. And, and so what, what are your thoughts about that? Have you been told that as an employee? I know many, many years ago I was working for an electronics uh, retailer and uh, <laughs> I was in law enforcement on a, in a reserve capacity at that time. And if uh, people, I saw them walking out with stuff, I stopped them. And I said, you need to put that back or pay for it. And I, I got told, the regional guy doesn't want you doing that. I said, really, why? Well, it's bad PR. I said, so it's, it, it's it's bad PR to allow to stop people from stealing from us. Yes. Mm. So it's good PR for people to see other people stealing and shoplifting. Is that and and they had no answer to that because there is no good answer to that. Well, what do you think? Should should we continue this policy, especially in retail? of just allowing people to leave the store with whatever they want to take. You say, well, some of that is is because of the policy of the DAs. Well, what do you think about those policies in those areas where the DAs are, are saying, well, I'm not going to prosecute if it's, you know, to a certain, uh, unless it's above a certain value. Well, the rule of law is the rule of law. Don't you think? 
Or maybe you have a different perspective. Again, our telephone number, 209-551-3483. Mark, good, uh, good response, good question there, good observation. That is prevalent today. I want to get back to, and uh, before we end our discussion, conclude our discussion about how we all participate at very various levels, especially in law enforcement issues. I want to come back to this whole deal with Customs and Border Patrol and, and uh, the agents on horseback. And I think you know the issues there. Uh, over a year ago now, wasn't it? that uh, the Border Patrol agents on horseback were accused of having whips in their hands and, and whipping Haitian migrants, immigrants, illegal immigrants. And it was found out later that was not true. They had reins and they were doing their best to do their job, and that was to secure the border. So here's Customs and Border Patrol Commissioner Chris Magnus with an update from last week talking about the results of the investigation by the OPR. The OPR is the Office of Professional Responsibility. Let's listen to um, what the commissioner of Customs and Border Patrol had to say about this. OPR found no evidence Border Patrol agents involved in this incident struck any person with their reins intentionally or otherwise. So we think they're in the clear now, right? Oh, no, because remember, President Biden immediately came out and said that they're going to pay for that. Those bad Border Patrol agents. They're going to pay for whipping the Haitians. Well, it turns out they didn't. They did not whip the Haitians. But you see, there are various levels of justice in our society today. And law enforcement often doesn't get its justice. So what's happening now? Well, we did find that they used an unmoderated tactical radio. So there's a disciplinary action there. Oh, man, God forbid someone use an unmoderated tactical radio and of having insufficient training for the situation and for an unnecessary use of force. By golly, we'll get those Border uh, border Patrol agents one way or the other. And at least the proposals last week were suspensions of up to 14 days because they failed to make good decisions. You see, there's, a, the, the, there's different levels of justice in our society today. And for you and me as citizens, again, I don't fault anyone for having second thoughts about dis- defending themselves because in today's culture, the person who is defending themselves is probably going to be made out to be the bad guy. And if law enforcement is doing its job and the media can possibly in some way make out law enforcement to be the bad guy, it will do so, and we will find the politicians and the higher-ups in law enforcement, those at the top, those with the brass, as we say, 
they will find some way to make the law enforcement people the problem. Now, sometimes law enforcement folks are the problem, not denying that. And when that is the legitimate case, the problems need to be dealt with. But in our culture today, it's, I don't know. We need to start from the local level, removing those DAs who advocate by their actions the abolishment of the rule of law, where it's the people who abide by the law that become the bad guys. Are you and I the bad guys? 209-551-3483. Mike Douglas Show continues in three minutes here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. All right, let's get social and get back to the phones. 209-551-3483. By the way, just got a message here uh, from Ann. I agree with her 100%. Uh, She says, I think uh, letting them steal is okay, but then you turn them in. Uh, I see it as a safety measure for the worker, but it must be uh, turned over to the police. Get the information so you can identify them. Right on, and Right on. Yeah, you got it. Uh, it is very dangerous to try to personally stop these suspects, but everything possible, you know, we most places now have uh, have video surveillance. And uh, if you can, get the license plate. Uh, there's a good description. Pass that on to law enforcement. I agree with you 100%. Don't try to stop them yourselves unless you're getting attacked. And I think that was the issue with uh, Mr. Alba in New York. He was being physically attacked. It wasn't that he was just willing to uh, let it go. He was uh, physically attacked and had to defend himself. Back to the phones, 209-551-3483. And uh, Ed from Lodi, welcome to the show. Ed, what are your thoughts today? Well, um, first of all, I I don't like that we've gotten to the point where uh, we seem to be protecting criminals far more than other people. And whereas I I do think that, uh, you know, there needs to be fair process. And I and I don't want to see people hurt and all that stuff. We have actually, we're almost opening the door for more theft the way we're doing the laws right now. But further, I think um, with district attorneys and, uh, and uh, attorney generals, their number one job is to enforce the law. And I mean, period, it is not their opinion. It's not their political bent. They are supposed, they are supposed to um, enforce the law. And I think too many times they are deciding I'm going to interpret it this certain way, which I think in many cases is not even in the spirit of the law. And I think they should, there should be a process that removes people like that from office much quicker than a refall call would uh, require. Um, I don't know. There needs to be some kind of a board of review, um, you know, and this has been going back for a long time. I remember uh, even when we had passed the, the marriage law in California and Gavin Newsom was mayor of San Francisco, and he was overtly disobeying the law. And the then attorney general, uh, uh, Jerry Brown, did not do anything about it. Both of those people were derelict in their office, and, you know, consequently – since nothing was done, they both ended up governor. 
I, I think there is a real problem with how um, district attorneys and attorney generals are um, interpreting the law, and they are actually you know, basically changing the law, and that's not their job. Their job is to enforce the law, and if they feel very strongly about it, then maybe they need to be a voice or promotion of change in that law. But uh, their job is to do the law, and it seems like in many cases they aren't. Um, that's just – I think that's one of the reasons why crime is so bad and morale and, um, you know, um, officers of the law is pretty bad because they know that they're kind of the – they're the ones more on trial than the, than the people that they're arresting in many cases. Yeah, a- absolutely. Ed, great call. Thank you very much. Ed from Lodi uh, pointing out, look, that's their job. To prosecute, and I think, Ed, what you bring to mind is what recourse do we have as citizens to hold our government, elected government officials accountable for doing their job? Uh, Great point there. Uh, As we uh, head toward the finish line today on the Mike Douglas Show, let's get uh, one more phone call in. Debbie from Stanislaus, welcome this Monday afternoon. What's on your mind today? Well, I'm going to make this very, very quick, and then maybe you could... Do this again. I want another program like you had today. I, I am so grateful to you, I can't begin to thank you. There are no words. I don't have any. Ed is right. We're being taught, trained, and maneuvered to break the law, to turn our head the other way, to, to not get any help for the people that need the help. We're in trouble, Mike. And if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even be able to talk about it. We'd have to keep it all inside. And what does that do? That makes people feel very, very, very lost and alone. They feel very abused and they have nowhere to turn. They go to their local governments like we have here. They turn their head the other way. They don't want to hear any of it. They're not interested. So you are a blessing. You and whoever made you come about and this program come about. And Ed hit it right on the nail. Our politicians are turning us into something I don't even recognize anymore. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you very much for your caring about us. Well, thank you, Debbie. I appreciate the call very much and uh, and the compliment as well. Uh, Debbie, I think you're expressing frustrations that a lot of people have. And I, I think one of the problems that we're having today, Debbie, is that when we're not heard, and this is not just talking about citizens and government. Let's talk about this period when we're in tense situations, when we're in stress situations. When we're not heard, it creates frustrations that lead to things that happen that should not happen. And part of the resolution or or part of the way to deal with that is allowing people to be heard. And and that's part of what we attempt to do here, Debbie, on the Mike Douglas Show. And again, I I continually thank iHeartMedia for allowing this two-hour spot Monday through Friday because I feel that all points of view need to be heard. We need to hear from each other. I often learn from you, and I hope I have something constructive to, to offer you as well But if we don't have that ability to talk about it freely together, frustration builds into things that aren't too healthy. What is healthy is 
We'll be back tomorrow, 3 to 5 p.m. here on the Mike Douglas Show. I'll see you tomorrow at 3 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a blessed evening.